0: Uh, so this is the podcast we're going to be talking about the book unwind really controversial and uh, I'm going to present this in the class they've all read this book with me um, and it has a lot of interesting topics and of course Brian my dad you are the pastor so this will be interesting and um, there's a lot of crazy stuff to talk about um, but there's so much that we will definitely not be able to talk about it all in 10 to 15 minutes so we'll probably just hit the big stuff. Uh, and miss a lot of it. So um, maybe we'll do this again just for fun and uh, talk about everything else. but um, I'll start off about talking about kind of the background and some of the notes. Um, so there was this war called the Heartland War. It was between pro-life and pro-choice. That's what the battle was about. Now, they really clever wording. they said um, that no side really won, they both lost in a compromise that they thought was good but it turned out the worst for everybody. Um, What happened was, abortion became illegal, so you can no longer abort your child, but they now had unwinding, which was um, basically you're aborting your child as a teenager. Um, But they didn't think of it as abortion because you didn't technically kill them. So you could send them off to be unwound from ages 13 to 18 and um, they will be dismembered and their organs transplanted transplanted to people who need them. 100% of their body will live on through a divided state, is what they call it. Uh, Some kid in the novel pointed out that unwinds are statistically more likely to go on to greatness Um, because part of them will be in someone that will do something great. But the whole idea of unwinding is found disgusting by a lot of people, that you are killing your child and sending them away after you've raised them, but you get to call it okay because they're still technically alive, just living in a divided state. Now, do you think this is better or worse than abortion?
1: Uh, To some degree... I think it's equal in that this book would make that point, because we find it horrific to think of the idea of killing a teenager, yet people don't equate killing a child if it's in the womb and they can't see it in the exactly, same way. Exactly, yeah.
0: They think just because they can't see the child or it's not out in the real world yet that it's it's okay to kill their unborn baby. Um, and it, the book does bring that out, that instead of killing babies that you don't really know, they can't talk, they're not exactly vocal, they can't express themselves at all, and then you change that to grown kids, to teenagers, and they express their emotions, they they run in fear, or they'll become a tithe. That's another thing we'll talk about later. He's a character in the book named Lev, um, but that's that's another topic we'll get to in a minute. But it is kind of that fight between... Pro-life and pro-choice, but they, they got together and they came up with unwinding, which is just as bad that we see, but to them it's okay because it was a compromise. So you're no longer aborting, but you're still killing. They just don't call it killing.
1: Well, we don't call it killing now. But That's does that true. change what it is? They
0: call it euthanizing. And it's just another name to kind of hide the truth. And um, there's another really great point in here, if I can find it in these notes, is, um, yeah, here it is. Uh, I'll just read the paragraph that I printed off online. Still others find that although the Bill of Life, which was the bill that uh, legal, er, illegalized abortion and legalized unwinding, um, was meant to protect the sanctity of life, it has unfortunately cheapened it. Abortion is illegal and in its place has arisen storking. Storking occurs when a teenage mother does not want her child, so she places it on the doorstep of an unsuspecting family. The family is bound by law to care for the child, which in the least means sending to a home, uh, state, care, uh, state care home, which is called a state hoe throughout the book. Uh, storked babies are usually associated with hope and purity, but many, many families have found them to be a chore. And Connor talks about, um, throughout the novel, they're running away. He's with Risa and Lev. And he instinctively stops to pick up a storked baby. Um, And it really caused a lot of problems for them down the road. And it, I mean, Lev and Risa had no idea why. He just picked up a baby like that. just caused a lot more problems for them because they're running from the law. Um, But he relates this back. He feels like he needs to explain himself because it, it was really weird for him to do that. And in his childhood memory, there was a baby that was storked on their doorstep. And his parents decided, because it was early in the morning, by the way, I didn't explain this and the the paragraph didn't say it, but if if the person who storks a baby is caught, they have to keep the baby. But if the person that storked a baby gets away undetected, um, they're legally supposed to kind of adopt the baby. They have to care for it as if it's their own child. That's how storking works, and it was supposed to get rid of abortion and give, like, teenage moms another chance. And, um, so what Connor's parents did is, instead of taking in the baby like they were legally supposed to, is his father moved the baby to another doorstep across the street, because he didn't think anyone would see. Now, they thought they would just get rid of the baby, um, but instead, weeks later, the baby wound up on their doorstep again. Almost every single person on that block restored the baby. So for like two weeks, this baby was just going around the neighborhood, just door to door, and just sitting there. Um, that baby died because it didn't have any medical attention at all, and it was just sitting out throughout nights and days. And they had a funeral for the baby, and nearly everyone on the street was crying, even though it wasn't their own kid. Um, And it really showed that all of them felt responsible even though it wasn't theirs. They they did something that caused the baby to die. It's kind of an edgy thing to talk about, but it it really kind of stunted Connor. Because all he could think about was that these babies were being basically thrown away. It's because no one wanted them, and just like I said earlier, the bill of life cheapened life.
1: I think that to some degree that that summarizes a little bit the experience of a generation of people that when abortion became legal, or for those of us who kind of came into it adulthood shortly after abortion became legal, we felt some sense of responsibility <clears throat> for the death of these children, that if we do nothing, children will continue to die, and that's why there were protests, that's why there were political action groups that were trying to fight against Roe v. Wade, because a lot of people in their conscious equate doing nothing about abortion as to being compared to being in Nazi Germany and watching Jews be exterminated and choosing not to act. That there is a pricking of the conscious that people feel that this is I can imagine this book was probably written by someone that very much shared the cultural experience that I have had or the moral um, been in the same circles of people that share a similar view of this morality is to say that if we do nothing we are contributing to the death of children or at least we bear some responsibility that we are not stopping it it would be a crime if you knew someone was about to take their life and you did not try to prevent that or stop. there's actually a, a teenage girl that was recently put in prison when she found out her boyfriend wanted to commit suicide and instead of calling and reporting it, she encouraged him to do it. And she was put in jail. What personal responsibility do we bear for doing nothing? So I would say some of what this book is challenging here is that that sense of guilt, I guess, of, of a consciousness to say, can we watch this go on and do nothing? It's just we don't really watch it, but we know it exists. So this just makes it visible as a baby on a doorstep instead of uh, you know, a, maybe a teenager who feels hopeless and unsupported that just goes to a clinic and it's hidden. But it, it feels the same to those of us that view abortion as murder
0: that's a really really good point and uh, I can kind of see that now that you've pointed that out is that the tension of guilt is a theme or a motif throughout the entire novel and I wonder like if people that weren't even in the Heartland War do they feel responsible for unwinding because they didn't fight for it they I mean they could have been they could have gone past the compromise they could have illegalized it all or they could have fallen back with it and just let Killing whenever you want, okay. And uh, guilt is a big part of the novel. It's a whole reason why Connor gets the baby. Um, it's, it's a big reason why other people fight for what they, what they think is right. There's a character, um, we don't know a lot of her backstory, but her name is Sonia. And she hides out Runaway Unwinds in her basement of an antique shop to keep them alive and it it has a whole network that leads to a place called the graveyard where um, decommissioned planes are sent after they're done being used um, but they smuggle unwinds in crates through there and they have as the book puts it uh, heaven disguised as hell Mm -hmm. and it it saves hundreds of unwinds lives.
1: I think there's also this this sense of questioning the shared responsibility for the type of social actions that we see in our society. So the fact that you can make another person responsible for your choices, I think that's something that we struggle with in our in our culture today. Um, being able to just go, it's like it was your action and your, your choices that led to having this baby, but you can just go plant it on somebody's doorstep and make it somebody else's mm-hmm. problem. You know, I, I think that we have some of that happening in our society today. You know, it's like, I created the situation, but I want the government to fix it for me. Mm-hmm. Or somebody else should be to blame, or, you know, there's a lot of passing the buck, you would say, in our society, that everybody wants somebody else to fix it. And I think the thing that I see about that is a, a phrase that I heard in just a management, you know, class or, or book, that says, if everyone is responsible, no one is responsible. Hmm. So in other words, if I would tell the entire class, I want one of you to vacuum the floors after class today, how likely is it you think someone is going to do it?
0: Not very likely. Not
1: very likely at all. That's right. Because if everyone is responsible, everyone can say, well, somebody else should do it. So where again is the, the line of personal responsibility? Where's the sense of shared responsibility? How Are we responsible for other people's choices? Are we responsible to help those who are in need? And I think it's something we don't have a really clear answer in our culture. I think we struggle with it. I don't have a clear answer for it. I think again there's that sense of that we would all share in that guilt. If a a baby showed up at Lathrop High School and was left unattended and cared for until it died, I think that there would be a similar response from all of the people that ignored it.
0: Yeah, you're right. I feel like everyone would feel partial responsibility.
1: Yes, so to some sense, regardless of why that child is there, regardless of the situation of the mother, regardless of who is to blame, there's also a point we say, some things are too important to worry about past the buck. Let's take care of the child, and maybe it wasn't my responsibility, but someone should do something. Exactly. And at some point, that person, you have to say, if someone should do something, I need to consider if that someone should be me.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's the sad part, is in society, people think it's, nothing is their problem. Deal with right. yourself, don't worry about other people. And it's really sad that that's what we've come to, but you see that everywhere. It's fend for yourself. And it's kind of sad. I want to hear something from you though, Dad. Uh, <laughs> oh, I just think that you know
2: people today don't have a sense of obligation. You know, whoever had that child, you know, they passed a law basically to say that the person who had the child doesn't have any responsibility, and the rest of society does. Mm-hmm. When the fact of the matter is, is they did make those choices, and they do have an obligation. But in our society, we just want to focus on our rights and our freedoms, and it's me, 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 and we become selfish, and, and we need to think about, you know, hey, we need to take responsibility for our actions and, um, and be obligated. And I think, in a sense, for the most part, we do in America take obligations, or we're forced to take obligations. We don't like them. I think a lot of teenagers don't want to take responsibility for things and and um, the obligations that they have to society. In other words, it's it's not what uh, can I do for not what can the government do for me, but what can I do for the government? It's not we we need to refocus our whole mentality that it's not what can the government do for me or what can the people do for me? No, it's what can I do for the people? Mm -hmm. And I think that's why a lot of people you talked about, you know, they even passed a law that said, hey, you know, if a unwind is dropped on your doorstep, you're responsible to take care of it. And yeah, in a sense, that's people taking responsibility for, even though it's really not their responsibility, but they still step up,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, and we hope that's what happens to storked babies, is we hope. Mm-hmm. But then we hear stories and we can't imagine how many other babies were just passed along mm-hmm. until they died. It's a sad story.
2: Well it happens today in foster care. No we don't have parents that step up and and have foster children.
0: You know, and Now I do want to get a little bit more in depth, we're running out of time, but I do want to talk about this for my final point. Is um Roland, who is He's kind of like the main enemy throughout the novel uh, with Connor, Risa, and Lev. Um, he's the biggest problem for them. He's very smart. He's very strong. And he has, he has like the, he has, I can't think of the right word, but everyone wants to follow him because he knows how to act in front of the right people and he knows how to outsmart people. He's very smart. Um, but later in the novel, he gets unwound. And it gives us Roland's perspective of him being unwound. And it is very gruesome, but not in a bloody sense, because there's no blood. Um, I'll just explain the whole, the whole process. But they, they drain all your blood, and they replace it with an oxygen-rich fluid that deadens pain sensors. So you feel nothing, you see no blood, but you are alive and conscious, because by law... They have to keep you awake throughout the unwinding process, which is really disturbing, especially the way the book reveals it. You, you guys might have to read this book sometime because it is an emotionally moving book. And they they have the process. It's a few pages long, and it's of him being diced apart slowly, by, bit by bit. And they have him look down, and his legs are gone, and they see them pull the table away and clean everything and he keeps talking with this one nurse lady and her main purpose is to really distract him and they just keep dissecting and they always say don't worry, it's not a problem, don't worry about it and then they keep going and then it takes the book says it takes three hours, thirteen surgeons and a bunch of other nurses and assistant doctors and they just rotate out for their skills and it gets to the very end where It's just his head, and he's still conscious, he's still awake. He can't talk anymore because he's lost his vocal cords and his diaphragm. But he can blink to communicate, and he's still awake. And they continue to dissect him because they have to keep 100% of him alive. So that means for them, he has to be alive until 100% of him is dissected. And I thought of this for a long time when I read it, but there has to be a point when you die. There has to be a point when there's when nothing left of you is connected, I think you're dead But the part where I feel like he is dead is expressed when they dissect the brain They go by each lobe and he thinks I'm still here. I'm still I'm I'm I I and then nothing nothing and the last three lobes of his brain are taken out And I think right then he's dead that's because he can't think anymore. There's nothing left of him together. But there's another whole huge process. Lev, is he gets mixed up with a character. His name is Sci-Fi. That's his nickname, at least. And he had a bad accident. I can't remember exactly what happened. And his father paid off the doctors. Instead of replacing part of his brain with brain bits from other people, he paid off the doctors so that it gave him an entire new, I think it was a temporal lobe from an unwind. So one-eighth of his brain was someone else's conscious, and he constantly fought with that conscious. So now you think, well, that part of his name was Tyler, that part of his brain was still alive. It was He was an impulsive stealer, and uh, sci-fi would like seizure up almost, and be forced to steal, and it's weird, because that one-eighth of his brain controlled his body for moments of time. And then it goes back to that constant fighting battle, is he really dead, or is he really alive? And there's another example of this, when Connor is running away, and he's still by himself, is earlier in the novel, he meets a truck driver that helps him travel, and one of his arms is an unwind's arm, it has been grafted on, and it's It can do magic tricks from muscle memory, but the truck driver's never done magic and he can never do any of that. So that's another thing. Does that muscle memory make that arm still part of whoever's kid, that body of him? Does that mean his arm is still alive? Or does that mean the kid is still alive in other people? And it's, you never know. I can't find a, a tie. I have yet to find closure for this book, and we finished reading it weeks ago. I have no idea. I'm still thinking about it. And what do you guys think about it? What Do they die, or do they live through other people?
1: Well, you could take that whole thing into what happens to us when we die. Mm-hmm. What makes us alive? I mean, is it is it our brain? Is that it? I mean, we talk about you know our hearts, and that's where we feel, and everything like that. But the heart really is just a big ball of muscle. I mean, you can take a heart from a cow, you know, or you can take a valve from a pig and put it in a person, and it doesn't make them not the same person anymore. Mm-hmm. So obviously there's, obviously our thinking process all goes in our brain, but who, what are we really? Are we just a body? Are we just a brain? Or is there something more? Because obviously, you know, if you, you go to a visitation and you see someone in a casket, you can see their shell, but they're not there mm-hmm. anymore. So for us, that's where, of course, we look and say, you know, who we really truly are is we are a spirit that is housed in a body.
0: Dang, that's a really good point. Yeah, we actually live forever, I believe. Yeah. Because we point. are spiritual yeah, cool. soul and body. hmm Exactly. And this brings me to another thing, a huge... Huge controversial topic in the book is when Connor is being sent to the graveyard. He is in a crate with three other boys. I can't tell you all their names right now because I forgot. But they talk about, you know, what they're running from. They talk about being unwound. And they think, when do you die? And they mention that. Is it your soul? What makes you alive? And it, they also think that, too. Uh, I think, the, I can't remember his name. But he's very quiet, and he believes that if you are loved, you are alive. And when you're born, you're loved, and you have a soul. That's when you have a soul, it's when you're loved. Now even when people stop loving you, it doesn't mean you still have a soul, or you don't have a soul anymore. And other people look at it as you're born, and it's conception, and you have a soul. And then other people look at it as when you're birthed, that's when you have a soul. But again, it's one of those things that doesn't have a definitive answer. Nobody really knows. We all have opinions, but no one really knows.
1: Well, and that's part of, that's one of those things that doesn't completely get resolved in the book. And that is something that is more like real life in the book, is that a lot of times we wander through life with these unresolved questions. That we don't necessarily have the 100% definitive answer on the answer to that question. What makes us alive? What happens when we die? And that's a question that people, since the beginning of time, have questioned and wondered. Hence, that is why most people throughout history and in most cultures will search for God. Will search for a spiritual connection to know what is beyond this life. Because if we're just, you know, some physical thing wandering around, and then when we die and are buried, that's it, and we're done. Why is there this innate interest and desire in almost all people to search for what more is there? What else happens? So I think that to live life without a spiritual quest, without to ever question that, to never stop and wonder... What am I really in my life? What happens when I die? That you're missing questioning, one of the great questions in life. And life is largely a series of, of questions. That it's not necessarily all about having all of the right answers, but part of our journey is to to find an answer to those questions. And I think it starts largely by wanting to know the answer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you don't want to know the answer, you probably won't find it. So, of course, for me, the pure and simple thing is to simply start and ask. It, it makes logical sense to me to say, if there is a God, why don't I just ask Him for help to find Him on a spiritual mm-hmm. journey? Because if there is no God, what's the harm? The first question is, do I care? Yeah. Do I want to know? Because God does not force Himself on people, but... The question is, are we interested in finding
2: him? Well, it doesn't seem like to me. The book the book just kind of sounds like it's just totally about the physical body. And it doesn't even address any of the soul or any of the spirit. And it doesn't even see us as spirit, soul, and body. It just sees us as physical. I believe
0: so. The, the people and, in the novel, yeah, they talk. Like the kids, the main characters, they talk about soul and what happens when you die. But everything else is covered up by the government. They, yeah. they talk just about the body and yeah. that you live on yeah, because your body is still alive. A hundred percent of you is still alive. But the kids and the younger adults, they're the ones that really think because it's their fate. They want to know. They need closure. And it's, it's a hard thing to think about.
1: Well, and it's something we all will face. Mm-hmm. There all will come a point where our brain function ceases. Mm-hmm. Do we cease or do we live on? And as, again, the large majority of people throughout history believe that we live on and there is more and there is a life after this, I would want to know what's going to come next. I think it's worth exploring. Well, I think it's the most important question to answer in life.
2: Our brain is physical, too. Mm-hmm. I mean we have physical brains and I think that's why it's difficult with modern science only focuses on the physical Mm -hmm. and then you have psychology and uh, some of those that are not exact sciences that are and even religions and religions of the world and
0: um, makes us Not really sure what to think about it, right?
2: Well, I kind of know what, I just don't know how to put it into to words that, you know, um, we want to define ourselves, we're, we're in a, an a- age of science, and, you know, we ha- everything has to be proving proven, and very seldom do we just look back and say, well, what does history say about mankind? And, you know, too many people maybe need to realize that the Bible is not only a religious book, but it's a historical book. And it does teach us where we came from. Mm -hmm. And when we begin to understand where we came from, then we can begin to understand more about us. We we can't understand where we're going if we don't understand where we came from. And it's like they want to jettison all of that and then just figure everything out scientifically by studying the physical body, and they need to go back and study history
0: of what. And uh, I think we're gonna do the last question. We'll bring it back to the book because we could talk about religion forever. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that, let's say, well, Let's talk about something new. Is The, the state homes that Risa was in before she was sent off, because she reached her potential, and they needed to open up new spots for new kids, is, is it their fault that they have to exchange out these kids? They have to send them to Unwinding. It's the government, but it's, it's not that guilt of a parent, it's that our job is to send these kids away when, when we run out of space.
2: Well, it's almost like we have a population increase and we have to get rid of a certain segment of population to make sure that our economy is still good, you know, even Hitler and, you know, that's what they thought, you know, we need to exterminate so many people because of economic reasons.
0: Yeah, they they need to be there. They need mm-hmm. to be left. It can't get so mixed up.
2: In other words, there's some people that you know would even argue that abortion is a good thing because think if we had all those babies in our economy today, having to provide for them, exactly. and then and then there's, there's so many that people can't
0: care for. Yeah, and but that, I'm not so sure that's true. Yeah. and it fights the question, good yeah. and evil, mm-hmm. and you never really know. Yeah, um, but it's. Been,
2: I think I think we've proven in the United States that. Uh, the pie can be divided more than six times. <laughs> There's
0: still more pies. <laughs> All right. Interesting analogy. <laughs> uh, it's been probably much more time than I was supposed to keep it to ten to fifteen <laughs> yeah. minutes, so I apologize, Miss Um But in true unwind fashion, we need to leave it with some loose ends, uh, And let's go over some of the questions and just state them and just leave them hanging in the air for everyone else to think about. Is unwinding better than abortion? When you die, do you die? What happens? Do you have a soul? Do you not? Is it just the physical body? Are you responsible if you do nothing about the law? And um... Do you feel storking has really done any help at all? Or do you believe in just like this nub right here, that it's cheapened life? And I think that'll leave some questions in the air for what I think I'll, I'll call this podcast uh, <laughs> unwound thoughts.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Good summary, Jordan. Alright. Um,
0: yeah. Thank you guys for listening. And sorry we took so long, but thanks for
1: joining me, parents, family.